Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? You know, not too much, Andrew. Did I tell you about the time uh, at Orlando All-Star Weekend where I basically walked into traffic and nearly got myself run over by a car? Have I ever told you that story? (laughs) No, do tell. Well, that's pretty much the whole story. I'm doing what any, you know, journalist would do. And at that time, Twitter was still, you know, fairly young and, and it was still the kind of thing you had to check every five seconds. And I'm, you know, walking across traffic and look, nothing against the Florida motorists, but they were not really respecting uh, the pedestrian <laughs> right of way. And granted, I probably wasn't at an intersection, but if not for the very careful and valiant effort of my editor at the time, Sergio at CBS Sports, I could have been plastered on that sidewalk. And I, and I never have really forgot that. I always, when I think of heroic efforts, I think of Sergio kind of reaching out, grabbing me and pulling me back out of the way as a car kind of sped forward. And, and I did not meet that, uh, you know, my demise at that yeah, moment. No kidding. Thank you, Sergio. <laughs> Thank you, Sergio. The reason why I bring this up, Andrew, though, I want to extend extend the same lifeline to Markel Fultz right now because I have a feeling he is in a very very uncomfortable spot because as we know last uh, you know he he makes his big long awaited return to the court and you know shortly after unfortunately bad luck he winds up being the reason why Joel Embiid suffers an orbital fracture, basically a broken face, a broken eye socket that could sideline him basically for the rest of the Sixers regular season and puts his playoff availability into question. And what I want to do, Andrew, is I want to pull Markel Fultz out of the traffic and I want to go ahead and just basically be his bodyguard and just step in front of that car for him because I realize I had to do a self-assessment this week. (laughs) I have fell way uh, too far into the Sixers hype train. I don't know if you caught this podcast I did with Danny LaRue this week on Real GM Radio, but I was floating them as an Eastern uh, Conference finalist. I was about getting ready to put Joel Embiid maybe you know third or fourth on my MVP ballot. I was most likely going to vote him as the Defensive Player of the Year. I had Simmons over Mitchell as Rookie of the Year. And I really got deep into the weeds with Danny on that podcast about the possibilities of Paul George being convinced by a nice little playoff run here from Philadelphia. Look, that was absolutely in play. That was like we we talked about it earlier this week. The Sixers hype was definitely cresting. I, I think on the last podcast I was saying I was a little skeptical about how real it was. But this was the absolute worst case scenario. So finish your thought. No, I I was just going to say that when we got off the phone, I took all caution and all skepticism and I threw it in the trash can and I just decided to he- dive headfirst <laughs> into it. And within yeah. 24 hours, Joel Embiid is injured, right? So I'm saying it's my fault. Nobody blame Markel Fultz, Sixers fans. If you need to blame someone, trust us. At a Sports Illustrated, we're experts in jinxes. I let my mind wander and I wandered straight into a jinx and go ahead, run me over with the car. I'm fine with it. In terms of this MB thing, though, we can break this down in a lot of different ways. By the way, hold on. Can I just say that I'm really glad you brought that back around because I didn't really understand the Sergio analogy until the very end when you said blame you and not Markel Fultz. So I'm glad that that finally made sense. I, I For a second, I thought you were lobbying for Markel Fultz to se- sequester himself <laughs> in Playa del oh. Rey with you. 
No, I, what I'm saying is, look, I'm paying for the karma. Sergio threw me a lifeline. I'm throwing Markel a lifeline here. Uh, and unfortunately, I have a feeling it's not going to be enough to, uh, you know, some deranged people are going to be upset with him for, you know, trying to make a basketball move. And unfortunately, you know, that coming at Joel Embiid's expense. Right. But here's the thing with Embiid. And let's just put the facts on the table. When he's been on the court... Philadelphia has the best defense in the NBA. When he's been on the court, Philadelphia has the fourth best offense in the NBA. They are very, very legit and a huge threat to do lots of damage when Joel Embiid is on the court and playing. When he's not on the court, their offense plummets to 27th. They're basically the Grizzlies. They might as well be a bunch of, you know, misfit G-leaguers when he's not on the court. Defensively, they fall to average. Now, they still get by pretty well because they've got some other defensive players on that roster. Uh, but that combination of pathetic offense and average defense, that's going nowhere, right? So yeah. you have a juggernaut with Embiid, and you have a team dead in the water without him. Those are the stakes here. And so from this standpoint, we should be viewing this Joel Embiid injury on the same plane as a Kawhi Leonard absence or a Jimmy Butler absence, or a Steph Curry absence. Like, there's no possible way where uh, we could we could overhype how much this screws their season. Yeah, and it's a real bummer. I mean, we started the last podcast with like 30 minutes on the Steph injury. We're not going to do 30 minutes on the Sixers, but you and I were all set to come on and talk about the MVP race, and it, and like we were it, eight o'clock East East Coast time is when we were going to record, and. Uh, you had to delay for a couple minutes, and in that time, the news broke with with the Embiid stuff, and like, it's just gutting, man. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I wish we could press pause on the playoffs until he is healthy, because literally for about ten days, every conversation I've had with like fellow reporters or just friends about the NBA playoffs has started with the Sixers. I mean, they were like so clearly the most interesting team in the league headed into the playoffs. And now it's all kind of up in the air. I mean, like Zach Lowe reported that the timeline is two to four weeks and we'll just sort of have to wait and see. But like this really casts a pall over like the entire playoffs here. No question. I mean, when you look back at last year's first round, basically the best story of the whole first round was like, can the Chicago Bulls upset the <laughs> the Boston Celtics? And that was not a very good story. <laughs> that was not very entertaining. That was a rough series to watch, and it wound up not really playing out. The Sixers were on track to be the biggest story by far of the first round. And, you know, game one at home, potentially, like the crowd was going to be going nuts. I mean, all the teams that they were lined up against, you know, they had a real shot at if they landed into that third seed, you know, as, as being a team, you know, favored to win in that matchup. Now it's a big question mark. I mean, first of all, we do know about Embiid as a competitor. Right. I mean, if there's any chance he's going to be out there, he's going to be out there. You know, like if the, as long as the doctors are not like hanging off of his legs as he tries to check into the game, uh, he's going to be doing whatever he can to get out there. But this is a scary thing. Uh, you know, other players have missed substantial time before, including Derrick Rose, because of this injury. Right. Um, so it's not something to mess with. So uh, it's tricky. And part of the reason why it casts a pal, Andrew, don't you think, is because the Markel Fultz thing was just an added, like, rocket boost to what they were doing. And you and I were really skeptical, like, he's never going to play. He's, he probably shouldn't come back. It's better if they just save him from the pressure. 
I thought he looked okay or, or fine or maybe even better than fine in his debut, and he was going to be a player in their playoff rotation, uh, no doubt about it, and he was also a player in some of those scenarios in terms of free agency. Like, you could really start to get excited about a lineup. Ben Simmons, Fultz, Covington, Paul right. George, Embiid next year. I mean, that is a ridiculous team that would probably have the inside track to the 2019 Finals. All of that stuff is building here. So you really were buying all the Sixers stock this week, huh? I was. Like I said, head first. And that's why I feel bad for Markel Fultz. I don't want him to be the fall guy here. And that's why I think I join everyone in saying, like, these playoffs not only need Steph back in one piece, ASAP, these playoffs really need Embiid back in one piece. Because you've been trying to float this narrative, oh, you know, Eastern Conference is going to be more entertaining than the West because it's just kind of like wacky and all these teams can beat each other and all that. It was going to be a more lot entertaining. Less, <laughs> it changes, yeah, the, but the it story looks a lot completely. less entertaining without yeah. Embiid. Yeah, I mean, look, there's no question. I was thinking about this. Literally, we've had like five minutes to process this, but I was uh, thinking about this, and I, I mean, I feel worst for Markel Fultz, and I think that most everyone in the basketball media is going to be like extra careful about not mentioning his role in this, which is great. But I mean, literally, and honestly, I should take some of the blame for jinxing too, because when that injury happened, it was Wednesday night. You'll recall, I immediately texted you. It was like, oh my God, don't tell me Fultz just injured Embiid. And then I typed a tweet out uh, and I, I, I saved it as a draft. I didn't even have the heart to send it. But uh, I went back and just found it. I, I said, my brain and heart can't handle a scenario where Markel Fultz came back after five months and injured Embiid right out of the playoffs. That just isn't Ugh. an acceptable outcome. And uh, did you have to read that, Andrew? That was hard. That was that hurt. That's I, I how felt I feel, though. I'm sorry. That's how I feel. This is like the the goddamn Sixers are like a Russian tragedy, man. I just I don't know how many times we can keep doing this with the highs and the lows. Um, but look, we should look half full here because first of all, as you mentioned, Markel Fultz is alive. He looked decent. Uh, I mean, there are still questions going forward and, and he's like the, the shot isn't quite there yet, but it was just great to see him on a basketball court. So that's number one. Number two, a head injury is better than another foot fracture. I mean, I think that was everyone's fear coming into the year is that like an Embiid, another Embiid leg injury would have just been gutting and it would have changed the way we think about the rest of his career. An orbital fracture happens to all kinds of different players. It's a it's a wrong place, wrong time type of injury. And, uh, you know, he could come back like Willis Reed in three weeks in the middle of a first-round playoff series, and it would be, like, one of the coolest stories in the last five or six years. So, like, I think there's still room for hope. All is not lost here. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, so best case scenario, because you're saying let's let's be optimists. So the best case scenario is uh, they're virtually dead even with Indiana right now. And they've got Philadelphia has a lot of games left against tanking teams, right? So let's say the bottom doesn't fall out. They're able to beat all the tanking teams. They just settle into that five matchup against Indiana. I mean, four or five. Even if you're starting on the road, if you're Philadelphia and you can get Embiid back, uh, you know, that is not that scary, right? I mean, I think you're probably still feeling good if you're a Sixers fan. You can talk yourself into, you know, this being kind of a blip on the radar as long as Embiid's back playing and, 
know, the only difference is you flop home court advantage with the Pacers. You know, I, I, I would say that's sort of their best case scenario. Yeah. I mean, their worst case scenario to me is that the bottom totally falls out here. They start dropping games left and right. Somehow they slide to six and then they have to play Cleveland potentially in a three six where they don't have home court advantage and they're trying to work Embiid back or maybe he's not available for the start of that series. I mean, that is a really bad worst case scenario. But I think, you know, again, like it's more likely that the, they're able to at least tread water, stay above the Wizards. I mean, it would take a real push here from Washington to kind of get past them. Yeah. Uh, and there's only eight games less in Philly's schedule. So uh, most likely they'll be playing the Pacers. And I would guess most likely in one form or another, Embiid's going to be out there on the court. So well, and maybe it doesn't need that. to be season ending, but man, it's a psychic blow too. You know, I mean, this is... <laughs> This is an emotional one that everybody's got to feel. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like an emotional whiplash because, it, again, it, there was like a Sixers awakening where everyone was starting to really buy in and get really excited to watch these guys in the playoffs. And it's just, it's hard to have that taken away. But to go back to like the worst case scenario you mentioned, to be clear, the one real worst case scenario would be like a serious injury that required six to nine months of recovery. And like... I don't know about you, but I was still worried about that all year long watching Embiid. And so to me, I'm I'm like heartened to know that two to four weeks is, is the timetable here. And it doesn't change the bigger picture for the Sixers, which is that like this year was always going to be sort of a bonus and they're playing for two or three years down the line. And I think they've still done enough and, and created enough buzz around the league that like they are going to be able to walk into a room with Paul George and say, look, you're going to have a better chance at contending here than you would in LA. And like we've, we, all the pieces are in place. And, and I think Embiid's health, despite the, like the orbital fracture, the freak accident here has got to be encouraging uh, regardless of what happens over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Let me twist what you're saying just a little bit. Cause I hear you. I mean, so first of all, he played, he made it 63 games in nearly 2000 minutes, yeah. blew away my expectations on both those facts. To me, he's a second team All NBA center, in, regardless of the injury. I just think he's had a better season than Towns. Towns has been very, very good, uh, but to me, Anthony Davis, first team center, and Beach should still remain second team center. That's sure. fantastic. I mean, that's again close to the best case scenario. But I don't want to get into this whole like, oh, it'll be fine next year. You know, good thing that he didn't have to, you know, miss oh, six God months. God damn it! <laughs> and here's why: to me, he's still potentially you know, the great hero of this postseason. If he comes back with the mask, especially if he misses like one game, let's say game one, they look terrible and he rolls back for game two and like he changes the whole tenor of that first round series against Indiana. Everyone and their mother are hopping on the, the Joel Embiid bandwagon. I mean, they're going to be, the Joel Embiid bandwagon would be doing Giannis on 60 minutes ratings at that point, right? <laughs> There's going to be tens exactly. of millions of people hopping on. And I think their short-term ceiling is still high enough where, it's great that he doesn't have this long-term injury, but let's not punt this down the road to next year. Let's not give up on the Sixers quite yet uh, because it, there's still that opening. But yeah, man, no, like, look, let me tell you something. I appreciate that because I thought you were going to take it into a darker place and say he's still going to be an injury risk next year and there's not really a guarantee that he's going to play a full season healthy again and we're just watching this one go up in smoke, which is like whoa. the darkest possible timeline. But you spun it more positively and uh and i think talking through this with you like look 
they're going to be able to... I, I would predict that Embiid is going to make it back for some portion of that series. And like you said, he's super competitive. And one of the reasons he's played as many games as he has is because he wants to be out there. And he, like, he wants to sort of answer all the questions as quickly as possible uh, about his health. And I don't know. I think it on Thursday night here, it seems darker than it might actually be. And uh, and talking through this has helped. I think we, we might be okay with the Sixers. Well, if you want to get really dark, imagine a Pacers-Raptors second-round series. That's one to get excited about. Real real <laughs> yeah. nice 1-4 matchup. Huge ratings line. blockbuster. Sure. Yeah. No, look, we need Embiid back at the playoffs. So let's just, everyone send him the positive energy. No, lay off. Everyone should lay off Markel Fultz. And, uh, you know, we'll see where it shakes out. But I don't know. I mean, I think if you're him, uh, the, the one benefit of having missed previous seasons and uh, enduring all those long-term injuries like you're talking about is that it does reshape your focus in terms of this rehab because yeah. he is probably thinking in his own mind, oh, only two to four weeks, that's nothing. I'll be fine. You know, I'll be back that's in true. two. That's probably how he's looking at it because he's been through worse and I'm certain that he's uh, glad he's avoided any you know leg injuries this season. I mean, that's got to be somewhere in the back of his mind every time he goes on the court. So, uh, you know, I think it will be very interesting to see how the Sixers respond in the short term, though. I mean, their, their key guys are still pretty young and inexperienced and not having that safety blanket back there. Uh, you know, they could look choppy here in the next couple uh, games in the short term. Yeah. One more note on the Sixers. Whatever Embiid's timeline is, like those games without Embiid, they're going to become the most popular underdog in America. And it's the one thing that I noticed uh, watching the Fultz return. I mean, that's like a Monday night game against the Nuggets, who are as irrelevant as any team in the NBA this year. Like, and those Glad fans you said it. were wild, man. Like those, the Sixers games for the last four or five months have been as crazy as any atmosphere in the league, and it's all gonna get kicked up a notch with or without Embiid in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, it is. It, I've got a question. I've got a question for you though on this subject. What will this final stretch here determine the Rookie of the Year race? Will how Ben Simmons responds? to this injury with, without having Embiid where he has to go out there and all of his flaws and all of his strengths are going to be on full display. Yes. Uh, will will that dis- decide, basically his response, will that decide who wins Rookie of the Year? Yeah, that's a really great point, actually. I hadn't thought about it that way. But, um, I mean, look, you mentioned it. Some of the numbers in terms of uh, Embiid's on-off impact and particularly as, they, as that impact relates to Simmons, some of those numbers are pretty staggering. Um and, you know, it's always been sort of like the hole in Simmons's resume for Rookie of the Year. And now he kind of has a chance to go ahead and prove everybody wrong and go and I don't I mean, I don't know what he has to do to, to sort of like answer those questions, but it's definitely something to watch. And uh, I'm sure like the entire state of Utah is going to be watching these Sixers games ready to pounce if Philly struggles. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they have eight games left. If they go three and five over those final eight, don't you think the Utah chorus is going to be, well, look, guys, I mean, come on. The reason why they were winning was MB, not Simmons. You know, Simmons might have good all around numbers, but is it translating to wins? Yeah, because that's really part of their argument about Mitchell, right, is that he was so central to their winning. Uh, you know, when Gobert wasn't out there, he, he kind of kept them afloat. And then he's been huge late in games to kind of help them win games. 
if Simmons isn't able to have at least some sort of a counter argument to that, I could see that really, you know, gaining a lot of traction, people well, running to team Mitchell, uh, you know, and not looking back. And to me, that'll be unfortunate and annoying because to be clear and to step into my role as Sixers troll, like I was ready to vote for Donovan Mitchell as rookie of the year, regardless. And I, I don't want to use like these 10 meaningless games as part of the argument. Um, I'm sure others will, but I was ready to vote for Donovan Mitchell before all this, and I was ready for the Wizards to beat a healthy Sixers team in the playoffs, and it was going to be awesome. Uh, and I hope we still get that chance, and when we'll see, we'll see what happens. But for now, uh, it's time to move on to brighter news. But before we do, Ben, it's time to talk about mattresses. Uh, today's episode of Open Floor is sponsored by Mattress Firm. Everyone knows how important stretching is before a big game. And so does Mattress Firm, except Mattress Firm is here to stretch your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's neighborhood mattress store. Mattress Firm, it's a true slam dunk. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this, Andrew, they are more than just mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite 3 and D wing. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening right now. Mattressfirm.com slash podcast. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch, like Ben and Sergio in Orlando. Like Markel Fultz and, uh, well, (laughs) score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. mattressfirm.com slash podcast. All right, let's get back into it. It's time to move to brighter news. As Bjorn says... Are we going to see any playoff tanking these last couple weeks of the regular season? Andrew, shouldn't your Wizards try to do everything in their power to seed up against the Celtics instead of getting LeBron in the first round? And why not have the Thunder tanking to the seventh seed to meet up with Curry or with the Curryless Warriors? Um, I will just say this: I've spent the last like two weeks of my life obsessively checking the eastern conference standings i google them every morning and maybe a couple times per day and then i google like rival team schedules like the heat and the bucks uh and the sixers trying to figure out what the seeding is going to be and what's the optimal scenario for the wizards um so i'm definitely living that madness i don't know if the wizards are playoff tanking right now i think they're just losing because they're not actually that great uh, without wall at this point, but, um, I'm all for it. If like the, the last 10 days will be pretty interesting as things become a little bit clearer. I think right now there's so many different ways it can go that the, none of these teams are, are in that tanking zone yet, but they're going to be, I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens as we get closer. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like Washington should be tanking here because, uh, their sort of best hope or, or whatever you'd want to say is that, uh, you know, Indiana maybe rises up to get that third seed and then Washington can just kind of chill in that sixth seed. But I think it's going to be more likely that Cleveland claims that third seed now because Philadelphia is sort of out of the way. 
And I don't think you guys want any part of that 3-6 against the Cavaliers. I'm Absolutely sorry. Not. You know, yeah. <laughs> Literally, so like you're... any other matchup, I'm ready to talk myself into the Wizards winning that series and then winning the, like, making a run to the conference finals and beyond. I'm, I'm ready to do that. However, I can't see LeBron ever in his entire career losing a first-round series. And it also, like... This Wizards team really does kind of feel like they're on the verge of getting gentlemen swept out of the first round. So Cleveland is definitely the code red scenario. Yeah, so your two options are essentially to win enough to pass Philadelphia now that they don't have Embiid, which you got to make up three games in the last column. You don't have a lot of time to do it. So that's tricky. But the big payoff there would be you get to play Indiana or you've got to lose enough that you could try to get Boston without Kyrie into that seven seed and just trust that Spolstra's heat would never actually play the tank game because they're too proud and prestigious an organization <laughs> to ever to ever do that. I mean, if those are the two options or you just like wait for your death in, in seed six as a third option, I mean, to me, the, the options are clear here. Lose, lose, lose. Get, get down to that seven. That's, that's your best bet. Yeah, I mean, and then the other side of this, and, and honestly, the main reason I included it is we talked for like 35 minutes about the implications of the Steph Curry injury, the different matchups that could give them trouble. But somehow neither you or I mentioned the possibility of an OKC uh, Golden State first round series, Russ versus Durant. I I really like the idea of Russell Westbrook going out there and tanking games so that he gets a a shot at, at Durant without Curry in the first round. Yeah, so my nightmare scenario for Golden State was like they would have to wait for the Oklahoma City matchup until the second round, and then they would have to play Kawhi and the Spurs in the first round. I mean, the Kawhi thing, are we ready to just write him off? I mean, it seems like Tony Parker and Manu have written Kawhi off. I I mean, mean, are we going to take an official stance here? And I almost think, like, I'm almost offended at this point. Where is Kawhi? Why isn't he out there? You know, and when do we get Popovich's true feelings on this subject? I'm like halfway, you know, I'm a little in my feelings a little bit, but like I'm halfway (laughs) ready to have Popovich prove a point about the importance of the Spurs culture and togetherness and teamwork. I mean, what's happening? Why is he not playing? All these other guys are dropping like flies. Supposedly Kawhi has been cleared for weeks. He's not out there on the court. You're telling me San Antonio couldn't make the Western Conference Finals with all the injuries to other teams? Come on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird vibe around that team right now. They were in D.C. uh, earlier this week, and I went to see them, and... And it just, to me, I think the point has been proven in some ways because, and I wrote about this earlier in the week, I I just, like, the lesson of this season is that the Spurs culture always sort of began and ended with, like, incredible players who bought into everything that Pop was selling. And when you take that, when you take that, like, core ingredient away, Spurs culture really only gets you so far. And... Given how weird all this has been, I think there's clearly more to the story. And like, I mean, we talk about this shit every week, but like all bets are off in terms of what's possible this summer. I could see Pop kind of proving a point or or like deciding he's he's sick of the back and forth and failed communication. Or the flip side of it is, I mean, Pop, I think we would have said the exact same thing about Pop and LaMarcus Aldridge at this time last year. And he recognized over the summer that like for any of this to work in San Antonio, he needed to mend that relationship and evolve. And, uh, and I could easily see him kind of like brokering a truce somehow, if anyone's going to do it with Kawhi this summer. But, uh, but yeah, I'm with you that like, 
it's officially insane that he's still out for them. Yeah, I mean, how many more guys got to get injured before Kawhi's going to participate in practice? Yeah, I mean, come on, Markel <laughs> Fultz is back, all right? We're all waiting on you, Kawhi. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah, if I'm them, I'm thinking hard about all options at this point. And I realize that this is a sharp change in, in tune for me from even like a month ago. But yeah, as these things accumulate, it just looks worse and worse. But back to the questioner's point about do you tank for Golden State? I mean, I think if you're Oklahoma City... Uh, that would be kind of playing with fire. Well, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Let's be clear. You don't rationally think it's a good idea to tank for Golden State. What we're dreaming about here is irrational Russ being like, I see Kevin Durant in the crosshairs. This is like the only two-week stretch I'm ever going to get a chance to see him in the playoffs without help. I am going to tank the next five or six games. And, and like corner that seventh seed property and uh and give us one of what would be like the best possible first round matchup yeah i mean i it's so wide open just to answer his question that there's going to be shenanigans there's no question because basically the four seed through the eighth seed and you could even say like you know the nine if you want to include the clippers i mean you know who haven't been like officially eliminated yet are all close enough where teams can easily throw games in the last you know 10 days of the season to get a preferred matchup once things are settled right. uh, to a certain degree but i think if you're going to play the seeding game don't you think most teams are going to want to see portland rather than golden state i mean if we're saying okay realistic scenarios in terms of like who you're trying to get versus who you're not yeah for then, sure. wouldn't you rather have portland yeah yeah i think uh as fans we root for for okc golden state as uh as teams who are actually competing and looking to advance portland is is the the one that i would pick out although who i mean it kind of depends because like if somehow uh san antonio can can be in like the fourth spot like i would feel comfortable with that matchup i would feel comfortable matching up with utah if i were one of these other teams so I don't know. We'll 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 have to wait and see, but it definitely is one of the things to look forward to in the final 2 weeks. But speaking of the Warriors, the Curryless Warriors, Toby asks, "Are you guys at all insulted or at least incredulous at KD's blog boys comments throughout the latest Bill Simmons podcast?" Uh and let me say, that was just incredible radio slash podcasting i encourage everyone to go listen to it what did you think of that episode why are you i don't know man it was a tough listen (laughs) i I guess i had a different takeaway i feel like we already have reacted to everything that the gist of what katie said in terms of uh you know he doesn't care what people think about him and all of that like hasn't he repeated that mantra for so long that we don't even need to you know reheat our takes about that from last summer the one aspect that I actually agreed with Kevin Durant on, and you know, it kind of falls under that blog boy heading. Uh-huh. I do think that there's a lot of basketball fans out there, a rising number percentage-wise, who don't actually watch full 48-minute games. I think the spread of social media, the highlight culture, um, you know, just all of it put together, you know, just shorter attention spans and all sure. of that. Uh, I think there's a you know there's a lot of people who do fall into that category for Kevin Durant who would be frustrated because these people aren't judging the whole body of work. They're not even let a, let alone watching 82 games. They're not even watching you know any full games. And you can see that from the NBA. I don't know if you saw that this week. 
they added an option to League Pass where you could essentially buy a portion of a game like the fourth quarter or whatever, yeah. uh, you know, for like a micro payment rather than having the full League Pass. I mean, that bothers me too. You know, I wish everyone watched as much basketball as I did. We'd probably have half as, have as many questions as we get because a lot of them are sort of self-explanatory if you watch games consistently, right? So I get his frustration on that point. But the rest of it, you can have it. You know, I'll listen to whatever you had to say about it, but I'm good. I, we, we talked through this last summer when he came off kind of tone deaf and weird and not totally comfortable in his skin, but trying to convince everyone that uh, he is super happy and everything is going really well. And, you know, it feels like we're, we're beating a dead horse. I mean, I've been his biggest defender on the court for years and years, and I remain his biggest defender on the court, uh, you know, against the kind of slander that you put out there in terms of role player and this and that. But... <laughs> Like the public presentation stuff, there's just not a lot of defense for it. Well, all right. So that was my immediate takeaway is, first of all, I support any player in the NBA calling out blog boys because that is absolutely hilarious. And I think we can all admit that the NBA internet deserves to get made fun of for a variety of reasons. But like for the record, blog boys like Ben Golliver, who nerd out over efficient field goal percentage, are... Some of the last people on earth who are still out here willing to defend KD and rep for him and how great he is. So it's a little weird coming from Durant. And I agree with you. I mean, when I said it was incredible, it's in, it's incredible for how weird it is and, and confirmation that KD is actually kind of even weirder than he sometimes seems. Um, and there's, there's a strange edge there uh, that is kind of hard to explain. Like, you know, you know, the internet meme, I'm not even mad. It's just funny to me. I do. So classic. Yeah. I I don't even know what that's technically a meme, but that's kind of where KD is right now. He's built his entire persona on sincerely expressing to the world. I'm not mad. It's just funny to me. And it's just like a really rough look. Uh, So, I mean, to to answer Toby's question, I, I don't think either one of us were at all insulted and we make fun of how nerdy we are constantly. Um, but it does kind of bum me out because it's sort of a continuation of this weird direction that Kevin Durant has taken. And I want him to be more LeBron and less like angry Dwight Howard. But here we are. Yeah, I mean, a couple thoughts. First of all, you got so excited to throw me in with the blog boys that you said efficient field goal percentage. I believe you meant effective field goal percentage. Look, I, <laughs> look, I'm not. A I don't give here. a shit I'm about not, that. I'm not stat. trying to. I'm you know, cool fact with check KD. Here. I'm, I'm all. I'm all good. All right. Well, here's the thing. First of all, we know Kevin Durant hired a, a guy to basically help him learn how to make his shooting charts, uh, you know, more efficient. Yeah, totally. He did that years ago, he bought into it was that coverage. earlier than most players. Exactly. So he's fronting run one way or the other on this. The other thing I'd say is. Part of the reason why he wanted to join the Warriors is because they really understood the analytical side of the game that a lot of the quote-unquote blog boys are doing their best to give the Warriors credit for, right? Like, for example, you know, the Warriors are so far ahead of everyone else, they've turned the mid-range shot into an efficient shot, and they've been taking them at a very, very high rate. There was a great piece in the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks ago kind of, uh, you know, laying out why... You know, Golden State has been able to generate such high-quality mid-range shots because everyone's so afraid of their three-pointers. So essentially what uh, the argument is like, look, uh, focusing on the three-pointers, that was two years ago. Golden State's already evolved and, and gone on point. to the next thing. Right? Golden State is and, full of blog boys. 
Yeah, the whole organization from top to bottom is Blog Boys, and that's why they've won titles, and that's why that's why the the actual Blog Boys guys writing blogs uh, are so quick to you know embrace them and hold them up as like the virtue of uh, of everything that's good about the sport. So, my personal take, and go ahead and write this in seventy two font. Kevin Durant's a Blog Boy. He is. I mean, he's on there tweeting, arguing with everyone oh, he's on Twitter and social media, basically more than all of his critics. And this guy loves the game. To the same degree as the as the most devout blog boys out there, the guys who are watching the most games, who are cutting down the most tape, who are uh, you know digging into those basketball reference databases to make their arguments, uh, those are KD's people, and he, for some reason, is trying to shun them. And I would suggest a more Moses-like approach, KD. Spread your wings, embrace everyone. Uh, you know, know who your demographic is because you've lost everybody else. Yeah. Uh, it's also kind of funny for him to question the expertise and qualifications of like all of basketball media. And then on the other hand, turn around and be like, yep, I'm a venture capitalist now. I'm ready to disrupt. And like, not sure he has any background in any of that. But um, but look, I don't know. I it, the, the main thing is, we're all rooting for Katie to kind of like figure it out because I think both you and I really, we've been down with Katie from the very, very beginning. I mean, I was watching him at Berry Farms like uh, as a rookie. And when he, when he was fresh out of Texas, he, he would come and play in the summer in DC. And uh, so hopefully he figures it out and, and is a little bit more comfortable in his own skin. And, the other thing that we should add is if he goes out and averages 35 a game for the entire playoffs, like none of this shit will matter or most of it won't matter. And at the same time, Andrew, he's he's wide open and exposed, right? Like he's picking these fights That's right before true. the playoffs where all the pressure is going to be on It could go the him. other so, direction. That's a good point. Yeah. And the other thing I'd say too, just to, to wrap this discussion on KD, Andrew, when was the last time KD had a good commercial? You know, like this guy's, okay, you're mentioning, oh, he's going to be this tech guy, whatever. I'll tell you what his last good commercial was. It wasn't that Google commercial where you could barely tell who he is. I'm sure a lot of casual fans are out there saying, I don't even know that's Kevin Durant in the commercial. I mean, he, his marketing to me and his branding and his persona and all this, it's influenced in part by this weird interviews that we've kind of picked up on that have gained a lot of traction over the last couple of years. But it's also, uh, to me, influenced by kind of a muddy presentation. Nobody's buying KD's sneakers. Yeah. You know? And I've said this before. I mean, uh, as a basketball player, he's right there with LeBron and Steph. But as a marketer, as a, a figure in the overall sport, as uh, someone who is like a basketball evangelist and he claims to want to be spreading the the sport, there's no contest. Yeah. You know? I mean, LeBron is so far lapping him. And I, I would say Steph's lapped him too in terms of how do you really hook people on this sport and get them excited about it? I'll tell you one way you don't do it is you, you call people blog boys and you dismiss people who are getting really excited about the sport. It's yeah. not the way to do it. it. It's that just was, a bad approach. No, no question. That was another reaction I had is like watching the way KD has managed everything in the last three or four years makes you appreciate how well LeBron has managed thing for the managed everything for the last 15 years. Um, so it's it's a really good yeah. point, but uh, well, look, LeBron sets up the Uber commercial, and KD shows up and says something that he's not supposed to. I mean, that's pretty much how it goes, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's true. But we should move on. Enough KD bashing. Uh, I'm sure he'll drop 40 on the Bucks tonight. Uh, Gary says, "I understand not judging a player on his worst day, a la judging Gobert for letting Lamarcus drop 45 on him. You don't judge Gobert on his worst day. I get it. I get it. I get it." 
but should we judge a player on when his best and worst days are? Isn't that what clutch is? Gobert having a bad day when the Jazz are fighting for a playoff spot against one of their conference rivals. That seems to matter, just saying. And it's a good point. I just want to add that I was texted by a friend from college today who said he was listening to the the last podcast where you broke down in depth the worst day or some an emailer's hypothetical worst day and his girlfriend overheard it and said it was the weirdest thing she'd ever heard on a podcast <laughs> um, but he was into it so listen you've got some fans uh so yeah what's well, your look, reaction I, I got some i got some fan mail on the grant rant and uh i got compared to laura ingraham going after the parkland teenager which that really hurt yeah that was time for some one. soul searching um, yeah well, hopefully they don't like launch any campaigns against Mattress Firm. Then we'll really be in trouble. <laughs> but here, here's what I'd say in response to Gary. Look, yeah, the play, uh, the clutch thing. Of course, we're gonna judge clutch. I mean, it hangs over every conversation. Uh, but I think when you harp on individual matchups, like it's very possible that uh, Lamarcus Aldridge's career high day didn't require Rudy Gobert's worst day in a random game in March. Right. You know, sometimes guys just go nuts. And so to equate one with the other, I think that's a, a misstatement and to extrapolate from a bad defensive performance or a tough night against a guy who's just completely going nuts. Uh, and to say, okay, now all of a sudden Gobert is a choker. You know, I don't think that's fair either. And I think that's going a little bit too far, but what we do look at in terms of clutch is all right, which guys consistently have problems, which guys consistently change, uh, whether it's in big moments or whether it's in playoff formats where teams are able to to uh, prepare for them and to change, uh, you know, what they're trying to do to take somebody away, who can adapt and who can thrive. And then, you know, ultimately, like who wins? Of course, those things matter to us. And, and there's no question about it. And I think it kind of reinforces what you were saying about Gobert's value is like, and we were saying, I think both of us agreed. Until they win big, until they're winning 55 games, and until they're going deep into the postseason, and he's showing that he can be a main guy doing that, he's not going to be on that top five, top 10 level where some people want to elevate him. He does have to prove it. So uh, I think there's some truth to uh, what the follow-up email was saying, but I don't think that we're missing that boat. And uh, I think it's two different issues here. um, My reaction would be that Gary's email about when your best and worst days are got me very excited for the playoffs because as you said i mean it, it that's when it matters um so I, I guess to extend your psychotic analogy from the last podcast like if you have that like that hungover day where you're just watching beavis and butthead all day and i honestly don't remember some of the other threads you were weaving in there but if you have that day when like your kid is graduating college like then you're just kind of a shitty person and uh and that to me is like what the playoffs are is basically like if Harden has another one of his worst days in a big moment in the playoffs like that we judge him on um and uh and then by the same token if Harden goes off in these playoffs like it changes the whole story um and we start have to start having like serious conversations about where he is next to Steph and, and KD. And uh, I don't know why I picked Harden, but that's why I'm well, excited for the playoffs. No, Harden is definitely the the litmus test here. I mean, he has the most to gain and the most to lose yeah. because he's had such a phenomenal regular season. And one other thing I'd add here is, 
Remember, we were discussing Gobert in the context of an, a full season award, the Defensive Player of the Year award, right? And so it's very possible for guys to deserve a regular season award, come to the playoffs, and then, you know, you have a bad series, you just play poorly, maybe you're not clutch. I mean, throw it all together. Sure. Um, I don't think in those situations we should immediately rush to retract those guys' award from them. Uh, I think that's generally uh, a cop-out or, or uh, you know, just a – uh, a fallacy of logic. So for example, if Harden has a terrible first round series, does that invalidate what he did during the entire regular season? No. Does that mean he it mitigates it? Uh, though. You think so? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, and I mean, we don't have to really like debate it too much, but because you can look at it in all sorts of different ways. But to me, that would mitigate uh, whatever uh, mitigate how impressive this year has been. And just like his performance in last year's playoffs sort of changed the way I thought about the way he was during the regular season a little bit. It doesn't invalidate it though. You're right. Yeah. It doesn't invalidate it. And if he winds up winning the MVP, they shouldn't be an argument to take it away from him, but it does, it would stick to his reputation. And I think that we do that. I mean, I think we hold everyone to the standard of winning. You know, I don't think you and I are out here, uh, you know, just giving passes to guys left and right who are constantly choking in the playoffs. Like I think uh, the hierarchy of the best players in the league is dominated by the guys who have won in the postseason, which is why LeBron is still viewed by us and by most people as the number one guy, right? Yeah. He's done it for the longest period of time. He showed the, the biggest body of evidence. Until people are consistently knocking him off that throne, he's going to get that respect. And personally, that's how I think it should be. Okay. Well, moving on here to one of your favorite emails of the week, Bethany asks, why is Steph's peak over because of an MCL injury? Have you seen his numbers this season? Why wasn't KD's peak over after his MCL injury? Kind of annoyed with you media types saying Steph isn't as good as he was in his unanimous MVP season, like it's saying he's getting washed up or slowed down. Couldn't be further from the truth. This year, Steph has added or improved new features to his game, such as getting to the line and shooting 60% from two. If he would have played more games, he would have been 50-40-90 with a 67.5% true shooting percentage. He's doing all of this after his first MCL injury, which he came back early from. Don't understand why this injury is any different. Just seems like y'all think he's a gimmick or that his game is is a fluke. Please respond. My only response is that I agree with almost everything she said in that email. And Bethany also sounds like a... Warriors World burner account, but I'll let you take it from here since that was you were the one saying Steph's peak is over. Well, I love how you're running away from it, even though you were agreeing the last. Well, I didn't really have the energy to protest too much. I I think if you're going to argue that Steph's peak is over, most of it is because the Warriors don't ask him to do as much with Kevin Durant there. I don't think it's really about Steph. Well, first of all, blog boy has more alliteration, like beauty, than blog girl or blog woman. But Bethany, like I love when you're just dropping true, true shooting shoot, percentage yeah. and throwing it back in our face. That was fantastic. I mean, you were honorary blog girl, blog woman. You're in the club, and I love the passion of this take. Okay, so first of all, you know when we're saying peak, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean what he's a, a capable of achieving in one game or one series or in a vacuum, right? I, I think she's got a strong point here that Steph, perfect health in a vacuum, uh, could outproduce potentially what he did two years ago during that unanimous MVP season. Mm-hmm. But we do have to take into account 
the injuries that have happened throughout the season, those did happen. We do have to take into account, as as you've mentioned, slightly smaller role uh, with Kevin Durant there and fewer expectations, less pressure because they've won titles before. That changes things as well. And we do have to give credit to Steph Curry for having an absolutely ridiculous 2016 season, which... We were not slandering Steph. You know, we're putting that season up on a pedestal. It's a, it's a really good point. Th- that is a level of basketball dominance that we've only seen from like a handful of guys it, over the last 60 years. So it's not really a knock on Steph to say that that was like a once in a lifetime thing, because I think everyone knew no. that as it was happening. For sure. And, and he averaged 30 points on 50, 45, 91 shooting. Yeah. I mean, give me a break. You know, like <laughs> if, that that's absurd. And so all we're saying is, look, to expect him to be able to do that again, it's not fair to Steph. That's not slandering Steph. That's trying to bring expectations back down from whatever planet he was on, you know, during that season. So I think if anything, we've been very, very pro Steph as an overall as a podcast. But what I liked about this email, Andrew, and I have always thought of you as one of these Steph Curry worshipers. Right. You don't hold a candle to Bethany. She's a lot more <laughs> hardcore than you. Well, so until you're coming back at me with the kind of arguments that she brought, I'm going to look down my nose at you. And your first excuse here was laziness or tiredness, fatigue, whatever you used, you know, why you didn't last podcast. But let me just say, Bethany didn't bring any of that with her email. She came hard. No, man. The truth is, because we don't do the podcast in the same room, sometimes when you get like revved up i just kind of have to sit back and let you go because i can't like wave to you and so sometimes you'll just be on one and i'll just kind of let you do your thing and uh quietly disagree or or qualify my own take but um but so so just for the record you're blaming uh our our podcasting setup and fatigue so far for why you have it stand out for for why i'm not on on bethany's level yeah it's true nothing but excuses tonight uh The next question comes from Austin, who asks, uh, or actually says, I'm selling stock in Giannis Inc. Swept by the clips in in the span of a week. The talent on the Bucks is far superior to what LA has, and the Clippers now have a better record. Wow. Giannis isn't elevating his teammates. Great defensive plays, amazing in the fast break, but he seems incapable of leading an efficient half-court offense. What happened to point Giannis and the Bucks? Uh, okay, first of all, Austin, never sell stock in Giannis Inc. Let's, we're going straight to the top. It's just a matter of when. I mean, they, they play the Warriors. It's, we're recording this Thursday night. They play the Warriors later tonight. The Bucks are probably going to lose that game, but there's at least a 20% chance Giannis is going to go toe-to-toe with Durant and win on national TV. But beyond that, the point is well taken. The Bucks have some serious issues right now. I mean, I think the bottom half of the East is all those all those teams have issues, but nobody looks worse than the Bucks have for the last month or so. And uh, so, what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think buying all of uh, Austin's stock would be my uh, plan <laughs> yeah. for any future. We'll kids. buy if college, you're selling, uh, definitely. Yeah, if, if my our college fund is going to be financed by Austin's <laughs> uh, selling plan here. No, look, he's right, though. I mean, they, and you're right, too. They've looked really ugly. And I think, you know, sometimes the most frustrating that Giannis gets is when he settles for a tough two, right? Yeah. And that goes for a lot of different players, but especially for him because he hasn't really ironed out that shot. And the, the most fun is when he's wide open in the open court, but he's great at getting very, very high percentage around the looks in the half court too. Uh, 
I agree that he definitely needs to improve as sort of a playmaker for his teammates. But I also think that just their overall approach to the game is just off. And, you know, it was off under Kidd, and offensively, I think it's still off. I mean, he's settling too often, probably because of fatigue, probably because of a long season, yeah. probably because of burden. I think, uh, you know, Middleton, that's, you know, been one of his bugaboos too, is, you know, he's a little bit too comfortable taking those turnarounds, you know, and pound a little bit. And I think that they just need an injection of a lot more pace. I mean, they need to be getting up and down a lot more than they do. They need to be modernizing their attack and generating more clean open threes for the supporting players and really taking advantage of Giannis's ability uh, to put pressure on the rim. But I think a big part of it is that, like, compare how much space Harden and Chris Paul have to operate one-on-one. I mean, it feels like an ocean, right? Because they spread those shooters out so uh, carefully because they never have guys hanging around in the paint because they've always got shooters in the corners. And those guys are just free to go one-on-one and it's so easy. I mean, Giannis, part of his you know uh, magic nature is how valiant what he does on offense is because he has to work pretty hard in the half court for everything that he gets. And his wingspan certainly helps him go over two and three defenders, but in a better, more spaced out offense, he shouldn't have to beat two to three defenders to score. It should be a, you know this one-on-one game that guys like LeBron and Harden are able to consistently play. And so I think it's, you know, I hate to blame everyone besides Giannis because he definitely deserves <laughs> some of the blame here. It's a little bit of a cop-out, but you're right. He, but he, he needs a better supporting cast. They need a better structure. They need a better coach, and they need to play faster. And I think all of those things would help Giannis look better, perform more efficiently, and it would certainly increase the entertainment value of watching their games. Yeah, uh, I would only add, and again, it's a little bit of a cop-out. You mentioned it too. I think Giannis is worn down. Um, he's been he's been playing, at, I think, more than anyone in the league, and his usage has got to be like top five. Uh, and he just over the last six weeks hasn't been quite the same guy he was for the first couple months. Um, but I think when you talk about what's going on with the Bucks, one of their other problems, which you didn't mention, is they just don't have that many good players. And there's there's five or six guys who should be in a playoff rotation uh, at most. And as they've struggled and started to careen down the stretch here, they've been without Malcolm Brogdon. And I don't want to like overstate his importance, but he's a good player, a serviceable guy who will give them 30 minutes a game in that rotation. And I think they've kind of missed that because most of those that like, when you're leaning as heavily on Tony Snell as they are, or when you're leaning on Chris Middleton to be Bradley Beal, like the results are going to be disappointing. And I think uh, that's the one reason I wouldn't get too down on like the nucleus they have, because I think Brogdon does sort of give them another piece that changes the equation a little bit. But it's bleak, and it it you're right that it's going to re- require a kind of full-on stylistic overhaul um, <clears throat> to change direction next year. The one thing I want to add, though, did you happen to see the quote from Giannis about uh, about the front office in Milwaukee? No, let's hear it. So this was earlier this week. He said, the front office and the general manager have to do their work, too. If I do my part and some others don't, then a change would have to happen. If this change does not happen... Then the Bucks can move forward without me, or I can move on without the Bucks. So I don't I didn't even totally pick up the context there, but he was talking about his future in Milwaukee. Uh and I mean, that's another reason to buy stock in Yana Sink, is this doesn't 
totally have to happen in Milwaukee. Um, I, we hope it does. I think both you and I have, have become friends with a bunch of people on the Bucks internet. But even Bucks fans would say, look, if the front office can't figure this out in the next two or three years, I think a lot of them would not be upset if, if Giannis went elsewhere. Man, well, I had not seen that. That is quite spicy and explosive. I mean, yeah. here's the thing, though. You could tell they were already feeling the pressure, though, Andrew, because of the Bledsoe move, uh, because of the kid firing. Like, those occurred right on schedule for a franchise that was like, oh, God, we have to make this happen around Giannis. Right. And I think the trick, the trickiest part for them is, like, Jabari, right? He was supposed to be a huge part of that, and he has not looked like that, you know, guaranteed sidekick type player so far this season and can you bank on him as being that type of guy and that's really really tricky because if you're Giannis uh you know you don't like as the quote suggests you don't have to tie yourself to Jabari Parker's two knees do you you know yeah I mean you like you're gonna have every option you're gonna have every team recruiting you once your current contract is over and so for Milwaukee I mean I think that is the biggest decision looming here in the short term is uh, you know, is Parker part of your pitch for Giannis? If not, you better have a really good secondary pitch because uh, you can't let like a number two pick like Jabari Parker was just go away for nothing or without replacing him in some meaningful way to appear uh, appease to your superstar. Yeah. And just for the, for the context there, someone sent it to me. It was a Reddit link and uh, I just clicked on it and it, the quote was from Euro Hoops, and it was translated from Greek. So who knows exactly what he said and whether it was exactly as, as forceful as it sounds. But I think... But, he, but, but Andrew, though, he's adopted that kind of professional tone. I mean, even exactly. if it wasn't like as explosive, right? It's that professional idea of like, hey, look, you know, we're, we're hedging all bets here. You know, every, anything I might have said previously about never wanting to leave the city. OK, just, you know, that's that's what well, guys say earlier and I in think their careers. He right? meant that and still would prefer to win a title in Milwaukee compared to anywhere else in the league. So I think that's still definitely the goal. But as people who've been kind of rooting for him to put pressure on other parts of the organization, I think he's right to say, look, it's time for the front office to do their job. And they've frankly squandered a number of assets that could have helped position Milwaukee better uh, over the last few years. So, so does this bring us closer to choke watch? I mean, is this another (laughs) red flag? Is he going to go up to the front office and, and choke an assistant GM? I hope not. I hope not too, but look, I'm just saying all the elements are there for Giannis to just get fed up. And I think it, you know, it might not happen this season. I think he's going to go down in a blaze of glory in the postseason. Uh, I, I don't see them winning a series, you know, at the start of the season, I certainly did. I thought this was going to be their year. They haven't put the pieces together around them well enough. He's been sensational, but a lot of other guys have been really good in that conference. There's been some surprise teams that are probably better than them. And I don't think he can do this one man band act against a team like Toronto and expect to have it win like it, it nearly did last year. I mean, Toronto's gotten better. They're deeper. They're more cohesive. Yeah. Milwaukee just isn't. Now, their best case scenario is somehow they get the Celtics, and that could get interesting because of all their injury issues. But, uh, you know, Giannis is not going to be putting up with seven and eight seed performances forever here. He's reaching the time where, like, it's time to start adding to his playoff uh, resume and making some runs. And, uh, frustration is going to come out, even if it's not in the form of a Euro hoops interview. Right. You know, at some point, you know, here in America, we're going to be hearing about. <laughs> it. We all need to practice our Greek for the sake of translations this summer, because the the Celtics matchup is definitely the best case scenario if you're the Bucks, but it could also 
break bad where they lose to that shell of a Celtics team because the Boston is so much better coached and Boston has nailed all the moves at the margins of the roster and basically done everything right that Milwaukee hasn't, um, which would be pretty sobering if you're a Bucks fan. But uh, but I don't know. We'll root for brighter days. This, is, this has been a darker podcast because of the Embiid news. A um, couple more questions before the podium. Kirk says, what should I make of Dennis Smith Jr.? On the one hand, his raw numbers are ridiculous, comparable to some great players at the same age. On the other hand, his usage is off the charts and he's not efficient. Uh, I'll be honest, I have not watched a Mavericks game in like four months. So I apologize, Kirk, but I'm not really qualified to weigh in on Dennis Smith Jr. I'm still a little skeptical that he is going to be a winning player. Uh, and I worried about that before the draft. I think the best case for him becoming a superstar is that the Knicks inexplicably passed on him and bet their future on Frank Nilakina. Um, and just like anyone the Knicks pass on is, is almost guaranteed to be good. So you've got that going for you. If you're Dallas, what have you seen? Yeah, I think he's on track to being, you know, like a, a plus starter at the point guard position. I mean, this yeah. is sort of where you want him to be or where you expect him to be in year one. Uh, the efficiency stuff will have to improve, right? I mean, there's not going to be any way around. If you're a ball dominant point guard and you're a score first type of guy, you got to be able to shoot that three pointer off the dribble. That's got to be a threat. The efficiency has to come up if you're going to maintain sort of high levels of usage. I mean, to me, uh, you know, Dallas was able to give him as many minutes as he could handle this year, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great, uh, you know, environment to uh, grow in. And so I think that's one of the few positives to take away from this season is like he's gotten repetitions in a high usage environment. He understands what it's going to take and he hasn't totally faltered. You know, he hasn't fallen on his face and, and he does have some of those raw numbers like Kirk's mentioning, but uh, you need to see progress in year two and year three on the efficiency stuff. If he just flatlines, uh, you know, that's not going to be good enough. And, you know, we would expect him, you know, the second time through it's easier. Uh, that's a, a general uh, trend. Right. And, you know, if you don't improve, you become one of the Moutiers and the, the Paytons of the world where you become a punchline, you know, pretty quick at that spot. It's, so it's a really good uh, point. It's an, unforgiving, it's an unforgiving position for him to be in. Uh, but I don't think he's either ahead of schedule or behind schedule. I'd say he's right where he needs to be. Yeah. And, and the catch and shoot threes will ultimately decide his fate in terms of where he ranks among the rest of the league because while I haven't seen him in Dallas as much uh, I watched a lot of him at NC State last year and basically the difference was him the difference with him was always if his threes were falling he looked like the best player in the country and there was like that game at Duke uh, which you don't watch college basketball but he was incredible and so when he when when that jumper is working, he is that dude, and he's everything that the Mavericks fan the Mavericks fans kind of need him to be and want him to be. Um, but he's going to have to get more consistent because it wasn't even consistent in college either. So um, yeah, and we should maybe nitpick a little bit here too. I mean, his raw numbers are fine, like fifteen and five. But let's also remember, like uh, you know, it's apples to oranges a little bit. Like if you're comparing 15 and five to a point guard from 10 years ago, it's not the same 15 and five, That's right? Cause like paces up and, and everybody else is playing. So, you know, you maybe view him as more of like a, you know, a 12 and four type player. Right. And so that could go either way, you know? And like we said, I, I hate to cop out here, but 
Smith hasn't shown enough to me positively or negatively to hype him or write him off. Yeah. I mean, it, his verdict is coming next season. That's a good responsible take from you. I like it. Well, uh, I have to, Andrew, because Bethany's out there, man. Like <laughs> You apparently asleep on the job, ready to blame the microphones. But now I, I realize we got people out there, blog boys and girls who are going to keep me honest. I got to, you know, I got to bring it right. Yeah. Well, here from our longtime listener, Waz, who likes to email us and needle us uh, over our hypocrisies. He says, Golden State, the team fawned over and lost for its management of player minutes has three of its four all-stars injured is it time we ask ourselves if golden state is playing their players too many minutes typical nba observers who preach rest are the most smug subsection of the nba acting like every tibbs lineup is an act of treason all the while ignoring every injury and or 40 minute lebron game that doesn't fit into their narrative uh, I appreciated this point. I mean, he's he's wrong. It's still smarter to rest your players where you can. But what I appreciated most is that this email came in on like uh, Monday or Tuesday afternoon, whatever the day was, Minnesota played the Grizzlies. And later that night, Waz, who's a Wolves fan, had to watch Tibbs play like six and a half guys for an entire 48-minute game and lose to the Memphis Grizzlies. And Curtis asks... Was the Wolves' loss to Memphis more about the Grizzlies team playing hard as a result of taking a 61-point loss or the Wolves just being bad and needing Butler back ASAP? Um, so what do you think? Because I watched, I, I didn't watch that game, but I saw the, I saw the box score, and it, it's unfathomable to me that Tibbs is playing like four or five guys 40 minutes a game. He gave Tyus Jones, I think, six minutes in that game. I'll pull up the box score, but... What's your impression of Minnesota right now? Yeah, we're going to sit over here just anxiously waiting for you to pull up the box score of the Grizzlies and Timberwolves. <laughs> Can't wait for you to read that to us, Andrew. Come on now. No, look, here's the funny part, though, because you cracked on Waz and the Timberwolves for that game. I wanted to crack on Waz and the Timberwolves and this whole rest thing for the next game they played against Atlanta. 56. I don't know if you saw that. Listen, Carl Anthony Towns was spectacular, sensational. 56 points franchise record they're playing at home Andrew let me ask you though they're playing the Atlanta Hawks they win by double digits granted it was somewhat close late in the game not only did Carl Anthony Towns play 41 minutes but I want to ask you a rhetorical question and the answer is going to be obviously no did Thibodeau pull Carl Anthony Towns out when he had a chance in the final minute for a standing ovation from the home crowd or did he leave no the answer (laughs) Did Thibodeau take Carl Anthony Towns out with 20 seconds left on a dead ball when he had a chance to give Carl Anthony Towns uh, a standing ovation from the home crowd? The answer is no. Did Thibodeau leave Carl Anthony Towns in until the final buzzer of a double-digit victory over the Atlanta Hawks in late March playing his star 41 minutes Yes, he yeah. did. He left him in to the final buzzer. And look, I understand there's going to be people out there who just ref- reflexively go against the grain in terms of like, oh, everyone's screaming about rest, so therefore I'm going to be anti-rest. It just doesn't make any sense. Come on, Waz. We know you're a reasonable guy. We understand the IQ uh, in Minnesota is higher than the national average, thanks to you know your fact-checking <laughs> us on that great debate. 
you know, not too long ago. Come on, man. You realize you can't be running these guys out there 40 plus minutes every single night and expect good things to happen. And you also realize you can't just anecdotally cherry pick a couple of guys who are being rested right now. You know, guys like Durant and, and Green and say, oh, there's this rash of injuries for Golden State. That's not how it works. Yeah. Come on. See the bigger picture. Well, all right. That's all fair points. Uh, having looked up this Minnesota-Memphis box score, I, like the number that jumps out most is Taj Gibson playing 43 minutes. I don't know how you do that to poor Taj Gibson, who's like 35 years old. The ghost of Taj Gibson is going to come back and haunt Tibbs one day. Um, but look, I love Tibbs. I am rooting for the Wolves. We've been over all this. I think... Th- the the flip side of what you're talking about is watching Carl Towns and granted he was he was doing it to like Mike Muscala for most of the time but watching Carl Towns against that Hawks team like he was incredible he's just obscenely gifted and uh as dark as some things sometimes get in Minnesota and their losses are darker than most teams losses uh Towns is still the guy who like I wouldn't want to bet against his future because whatever you want to say about the Hawks team he was going against. He also did that to the Warriors a couple weeks ago. So um, never get too low if you're a Wolves fan. Uh, I did. After the Memphis loss, I had another Wolves friend text me that he wishes Tubby Smith was the coach instead of Tibbs, which is pretty pretty bleak. But um, hey, they have Cat. Yeah, well, at least for now. I mean, I would be (laughs) taking care of him. Hey. Hey, look, I'm serious. Don't you have to keep the minutes off your your young stars? I mean, it, I, you're not nervous that he's out there playing 40-plus? I certainly am. I'm not rooting for injury. I never do that. But if I was someone who cared uh, about Carl Anthony Towns, I would be uh, making sure ownership realized that, you know, before he signed that next contract extension, you know, the one like similar to the one that Wiggins got, that there was an open and frank discussion about how many minutes are reasonable for his, you know, son or or, uh, client to be playing. If I was an agent, I would absolutely be saying this. But look, I want to ask you a completely different question about the Wolves. Okay. I don't know if you saw this, but Ben Simmons and Carl Anthony Towns, they were playing a video game the night before the Hawks game, and Ben Simmons essentially started laughing uh, to Carl Anthony Towns and saying, like, hey, man, you don't have to go to bed. We can just keep playing this game because you have an easy game tomorrow night. It's the Hawks. And then Towns goes out and scores 56 points. On the level of disrespectful things we've seen in the NBA, that is, to me, where I guess to you, where does that rank? Uh, on that scale because to me that's worse than stepping over a guy i mean that's worse than you know like making a a funny like instagram location like joel Embiid has done in the past you know kind of mock lonzo and lavar ball i mean that is just pure and like to upload that video you know like to be capturing that content and then posting it to the internet i mean to me that is like almost a new high watermark for disrespect. Uh, yeah, it probably is. It, now that I think about it, that's probably the most disrespectful thing that's happened in the NBA this season, particularly because like the Hawks are currently rolling with a squad of 21 and 22 year olds. So they all play those video games, which I don't, I don't really understand that esports world, but they were definitely like locked in <laughs> and, and knew exactly what was happening beforehand. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. If you're a Hawks fan, though, you don't really care. And maybe if you're a Hawks coach or, or like, GM, I mean, they've had a successful year. This has been a tank executed to perfection. So I can't really feel too bad for Atlanta. I mean, they're winning, too, in their own way. I was going to say, so maybe we should flip this. 
is this like Travis Schlenk, like the feather in his cap? Like, is this like he is the tank master because he's produced a scenario where his team is getting mocked by opposing players during video games late at night? I mean, look, if you're at that GM summit and you're the Atlanta Hawks and you got to go talk to the Dallas Mavericks and, you know, the Suns, they're great every year at tanking. I mean, these guys really commit to the tank. Like, couldn't you see a scenario where Ryan McDonough comes up and like puts his arm around Travis Schlenk? He's like, hey, man, I just got to give you a lot of credit for that uh, late game game video trash talk that the Sixers and uh, Timberwolves were in- involved in. Look, I've been trying to lose games for four years, and I never had anything that disrespectful to happen to my team. That's really impressive work, Travis. Good job. Yeah, no kidding. Do you do you know anything about those games? Andrew, are they reality or are they video games? You know, well, I'm a reality-based person. Yeah, all, all I can say is they make me feel really old. I was, I was with my nephew, who is an 18-year-old high school senior, uh, over the weekend, and he had like six of his friends come over, and they all just went down to the basement and played that Fortnite game like for five hours. And uh, I just can't imagine ever doing that although i guess i did that with like ncaa football uh ea sports but i don't know it's 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 so weird to me that like today's rappers are are playing Fortnite. yeah i mean look don't don't dive too deep into this because then you're going to start wondering why anyone listens to us i mean look there's a lot of time (laughs) being wasted and i don't want to become like mike lupica here on the podcast so we should probably move on before we go any further on esports um but James says a couple podium questions. We've already gone too long. James says, I'm from Perth, Australia, best Australian city in case you're ever here. I heard Sharp annoyingly convert kilometers to miles in the last pod and had the overwhelming need to hear Golliver's opinion on USA's weird miles, Fahrenheit, gallons, feet and inches obsession compared to the far superior metric system. I honestly can't imagine him defending so something so stupid it seems like something that would annoy him but maybe i'm wrong so do you have any metric system takes no i got some takes no i just say james we're brainwashed at such a young age here in america with our own systems that you've already passed the point of no return in most cases like i don't know when you had the first metric system truther like get through to you it probably happened to me in like sixth or seventh grade and i was certainly like open to the idea of there being a better system out there, but it had already been ingrained for years and years. There's just no turning back. And, you know, it's just funny to me though, Andrew, that Australians are the ones who raise this because they're constantly trying to correct our pronunciation and they don't pronounce any words correctly at all. Like they're, <laughs> they're pronouncing it correctly for Australia, not for the world and not for America. Wow. And Way so, to turn the tables. No, I appreciate that. Andrew, you know it's true. I mean, we get more corrections on pronunciations from Australians, and we're always kind of writing back like, guys, that's just, that might be for you. It's not for us. <laughs> that's how America looks at, in terms of all distances and measurements, you know, the one thing I do know in terms of the conversions, I think the 5-8 ratio is really important, you know, in terms of distances, like, to convert between one and the other. And that's just an unwieldy ratio. That's not doing anybody any favors whatsoever. So I think we should stick to what we know. And I think, unfortunately, the United States will just go down in a blaze of glory with our current systems. I don't think we're ever going to be changing it. And I fully respect the rest of the world's uh, ability to, to stick with what's worked for them. Yeah, well, and on that note, we did get several emails correcting my pronunciation of Melbourne last week. I, I pronounced it yeah, come on. Melbourne. Don't, don't apologize for that, though. <laughs> I'm no not. Excuses, I'm no not. apologies, Andrew. No, I'm not apologizing, and I'll tell you why. Because I think it's obnoxious when Americans go out of their way to like 
put in a, a little bit of extra sizzle on their like crappy pronunciation of foreign words. And so I wasn't going to do that. I'm not going to pretend to be like down and cool and Australian and know how to correctly pronounce Melbourne. Uh, I just went with Melbourne because that felt true for me. And, um, but thank you to everybody who wrote, who wrote in. It's, it's great that half of Australia listens to our podcast. It's awesome. Uh, so- so there's someone out there who spent the last year practicing how to say petty and they just felt exactly. So I don't want to be that said. guy. I'm sorry. Um, Joseph says, I have a request for you guys. When the specific playoff order is settled, can you guys do brackets against one another? Whoever has the more accurate bracket then gets to make the other rep a team slash player he hates. For example, Ben, if you win and you probably will, because like me, Andrew will let his wizard's emotion compromise his judgment. <laughs> then you can make Andrew wear a Hawks Dennis Schroeder jersey for at least a week. Uh, look, there's no way we're doing this for a week, but I think we do have to make this bet happen. I'm always down for bets, just so you know. Everyone else's brackets are rude. I had Michigan over Villanova in the NCAA title game. That could still happen. <laughs> By mentioning that fact, though, I probably jinxed Which it. So we'll is see. Good Maybe, uh, because si- Sister Jean will take us down. Yeah, you know? and deep down, I think everybody should be rooting for Sister Jean and Loyola to pull off the upset. I mean, even you are pro- a part of you are are rooting for Sister Jean, right? No, of course not. (laughs) Give me a break. (laughs) So honestly, that was strategy on my part. I'm trying to back you into the corner to to where you have to come out as the only anti-Sister Jean person in America. Oh, I'll be that guy too. I already saved Markel Fultz once. Okay, <laughs> look, I'll I'll be the worst person on the internet for today if need be. Hey, Andrew, can I just go back? Like, this bet's fine. We could do whatever bet you want. I don't have a problem with that. But I just want everyone to realize what happened because you were presented with two options by James from Australia. You could have the option of being sort of like the intentionally uh, uninformed American or the try-hard American, and you came out very hard on being the intentionally uninformed American. I think. Ultimately, that's kind of what we stand for as a podcast. Look, we're not going to bend over backwards here. We're not going to cater to all the Celtics fans who email us every week to say, congrat, you know, congratulate our team for overachieving through all these injuries. No, we have our opinions and we're pretty locked into them. And if we're going to if we're going to be forced to either try incredibly hard to pronounce your city's name right or to just say screw it and pronounce it like it's spelled, we're going to take the second option. No, I'm not going to let you adopt this ugly American identity on my behalf, all right? We would both love to go to Australia. We'll pronounce it correctly after we spend a summer in Australia. How about that? But you're, I, I think it's more neither one of us are going to just like be pretentious for appearances sake. There you go. That was well said. All Perfect. right. I'm glad we clarified that. Let's let's bet. I'll, I'll gladly take you down in this, this playoff bracket yes. challenge. Although I do think one of the takeaways from this year's postseason is the first round, it's not like there's going to be toss-ups across the board, but there's going to be actual choices this year, and last year there wasn't. I mean, it was pretty easy to pick brackets last year. This year it should be more interesting. So once we know those seeds, you know, the last day of the regular season, whatever it comes down to, we will make brackets and we will publicize them and, and everyone can root for you. And then, you know, I'll probably win and ruin everyone's heart. That's fine. But, you know, we'll do yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait. And on that note, we will be back next week. It's almost award season. Get ready. Uh, prepare your takes, Gulliver. You've been waiting all year to drone on and on about James Harden. 
And until then, it's been fun. Please get better soon, Joel Embiid. Blog boys and blog girls, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back soon. Andrew, the people need to go to Apple Podcasts, search Open Floor, find our page, scroll down. It says rate and review, tap five stars. It's as easy as giving your Uber driver five stars. I know you guys are out there doing that, trying to juice your Uber rating, so do the same thing for us. Help us out. All questions, comments, concerns, and, you know, correct pronunciations for Australian words that we're not going to remember, send them to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Andrew, until next week, I'll talk to you. All right, man, take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.